Amen. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. I got a text this morning from a brother and asked if I was up and awake, and I said, sure. That I was basking in the unchanging faithfulness of God. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Psalm 89, 1. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray, our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that you would be merciful to us this morning. Not on any merit of our own, for we have none. But upon the merits of Jesus Christ, whom thou lovest above all things on the merits of him who have made us accepted into thy presence. And because of his great salvation, we now bear his image upon our souls. We ask, dear God, that you would be merciful to us this morning and open up thy eternal word to our hearts that we might see things that, Lord, we thought we've known before, but yet now we may see them more clearer. I pray, dear God, that you'd open up our understanding and our hearts that we might be able to receive these divine truths to where not only that we can speak about them, but Lord, in our hearts and our minds and our souls, we can embrace them and they can guide us and direct us. And Lord, they can change our entire being. My Father, I pray that you alone would be honored and glorified this morning in all things. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Dearly beloved, I want to return this morning to this 89th Psalm in hopes that we might learn even more from what the psalmist is speaking of. It's referred as the covenant psalm. It speaks three times of God's covenant and six times of God's faithfulness. You need to understand that. If you're going to have the key to unlock the truths in Psalm 89, because it speaks of a subject which I believe with all my heart grants the believer the greatest comfort and refuge and hope and assurance in the most desperate and troublesome of times. It's a strong refuge of hope, assurance, and peace of heart and mind. Namely, the faithfulness of God. As I pondered this verse this last week, questions came to my mind that I was confronted with, of which I want to confront you before we begin this morning. How often have we genuinely considered this divine attribute of the faithfulness of God? How much do we truly know of it? Is our knowledge of it merely intellectual? Or can we truly say we have, by God's grace, learned experientially of His faithfulness? Do we know the faithfulness of God in all circumstances of life? I'm getting ahead of myself, but do we know it's unchanging? 
It's never influenced by anything. It's never motivated by anything but God himself. His faithfulness never changes. There are those, when they speak of God's faithfulness, they consider it only in the light of their present needs and desires and wants. God is faithful to my present need and my present wants and my present desires and wishes. Yet, beloved, that of itself shall bring little or no comfort when faced with the great hardships and trials and even death itself in this present life. How faithful is God? Let me ask that again. How faithful is God? Not my faithfulness, for it's weak and feeble. But how strong and how unchanging and how perfect and how wonderful and how secure is the faithfulness of God. Because my entire life, my entire eternal life is based upon God being faithful to His promise. If God proves to be unfaithful, I have nothing to hope in. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Verses 1, 2, and 8. Thy faithfulness unto all generations. Beloved, God's faithfulness is not limited or bound by time or restricted to one generation. But the psalmist said, to all generations. It flows like a raging river from one generation to the other, never being impeded by anything, by time, by culture, by person, by thing, by angels, by circumstances. It continues in every generation like a raging river. Have you ever considered that? The same faithful God that spoke to David speaks to us today. The same faithful God that spoke to Noah speaks to us today. His faithfulness never changes, but continues like a raging river through every generation, never being impeded by anything or anyone. Circumstances, cultures, events, situations. His faithfulness is from generation to generation. What an amazing thought that is. It is undeterred by time, nor subject to anything or anyone. Please listen to me because I really want to I really want to share to you what I believe the psalmist is telling us in Psalm 89 and I hope and pray that it will greatly encourage our hearts as God's people in the faithfulness of God. So I pray God would be merciful to us and give us ears to hear. I know your flesh is weak this morning, but may your spirit uh, hear what the spirit of God wants to say to us this morning about the faithfulness of God because it is very important and essential for us in this world of ever-changing, ever-decaying 
circumstances and situations. There's one thing that never changes, and that's God. And His faithfulness is part of His attribute. Never changes. It's not subject to anything or anyone. The psalmist says it's established in the heavens. Consider those words. It's established in the heavens. Far above all the changes and decay of this present world, it's established in the heavens. In other words, he said it's for eternity. Don't look at it in regards to this present world, which is only here for a brief few seconds, but his faithfulness is established in the heavens. For it is as God himself, unchanging, eternal, and subject only to himself and his perfect will. It's subject only to himself and his perfect will. Man, I wish we'd get a hold of that. His faithfulness is subject only to himself and his perfect will. Never compelled or influenced by circumstances, events, men or angels, nothing but God himself. He goes on to say in the Psalm 89, its strength is round about God. It encompasses everything God speaks, everything God commands, His purposes, and therefore perfect, wise, unchanging, and eternal. That is the subject or the essence of God's faithfulness. It is as of God. What a wonderful blessing to consider such a faithfulness. Because we are people that live in a finite world. We're finite. We're in a world that's ever-changing and decaying. It's hard for us to grasp that there's something that stays the same forever and nothing can sway it. We're swayed by our emotions. A brother offends us and we walk away and we never return. Someone hurts us and we're offended and we change our feelings for them. And so we think God is the same way. Our circumstances change. One minute we're happy and the next minute we're sad. Life changes so quickly and sometimes we believe God is the same way, but He's not. God never changes circumstances, situations, never influence His faithfulness. You say, but preacher, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but you say, but preacher, sometimes I sin. Nothing influences or sways God's faithfulness, not even my own sin. The psalmist says it in this psalm. I'll visit them with a rod. I'll chasten them with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness and faithfulness will I never. It doesn't influence it. Man, I spent a lot of time just contemplating that and couldn't grasp it in its entirety. I lost myself in it. That nothing, 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 not even my own weaknesses and sins can influence or sway God's faithfulness to me in Christ. All of which makes this 89th Psalm most amazing and yet very humbling. 
For though it begins with the highest praises of God's great mercies and unchanging faithfulness, it ends with the psalmist being very distraught and troubled by their present circumstances and hardships of which we looked a little last week in verses 37 to 51. This makes this psalm very amazing and wonderful and yet very humbling. Because though the psalmist begins in the first verses singing high praises of God's mercy and faithfulness, by the end of the chapter he's distraught. He's troubled. He's grieved by his present circumstances. And in many ways I believe this to be a sinful thing. And yet it's one that we are very familiar with, are we not? Are we not very familiar with that? Do we not at one moment have the praises, high praises of God upon our lips, and then when uh, providence brings a dark path across our way, suddenly our high praises turn into distraught and grievances and groaning? Are we not of the same as the psalmist? Are we not guilty of the same? And even then, the faithfulness of God does not change. My mood swings. Oh. My undecisiveness, my instability, my weaknesses and frailty doesn't change the faithfulness of God. Through the years, I've met many people, as of you, I'm sure, met many people who once spoke well and kindly of me. Only later, for some reason, maybe the fault of my own, it makes no difference, or their own, who now are different towards me, and I towards them, possibly. God's never like that. We're so fickle and frail and weak. Yet God is not like that. Which leads us to a divine yet humbling truth concerning God's unchanging faithfulness and our often and our often inability to understand its divine workings. Sometimes we don't understand God's faithfulness. Sometimes it's as mysterious as his providence. For 36 verses, the psalmist sings high praises. In 37, he begins with, But thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast detested us and despised us. What a sinful thought. What a sinful thought that the psalmist could have such high praises of God and then in the same breath begin to be distraught at God's faithfulness, disturbed by it, and claim that thou hast cast off and abhorred. God never cast off. He never abhors his people. And yet are we not much like the psalmist when we find ourselves in hardships and difficulties? Do we not in our heart often think, God, why do you allow this? Do we not question God's faithfulness like the psalmist? 
What an incredible contrast to the psalmist's previous praises of God's great mercy and faithfulness. Yet it's a divine truth which strikes at the heart of every true believer. We can bear witness with the psalmist if we're honest with ourselves. Can we not? One Sunday we come to church and we're lifting up high praises and the next Sunday we come and the world and all the circumstances have got us down and we're distraught. Oh, we wouldn't voice it verbally, but in our hearts and our minds, are we not thinking the same way the psalmist is expressing himself? Are we not guilty as the psalmist when it comes to misunderstanding or mistrusting the faithfulness of God? It's not uncommon, dearly beloved, or a strange thing for the greatest of saints to believe in God's unfailing, unchanging faithfulness, but to be perplexed and even distraught as the psalmist at his divine workings and purposes about it. I believe the psalmist still believed in God's faithfulness, but the workings, the circumstances surrounding his present condition perplexed him and distraught him, causing him to have thoughts which were very ungodly and sinful of itself. Even the greatest of saints have been perplexed at God's faithfulness. Remember David, First Samuel 27, 1, and David said in his heart, you notice it doesn't say he said it verbally, he said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. God had anointed him king. God had promised that he would sit on the throne. And yet, here is David, because of his persecution by Saul, here's David that says in his heart, he thought it in his heart, just like we do, I shall now perish one day at the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of Philistines. Do we not do the same thing when our circumstances and situations are difficult and hard and trying? Do we not in our hearts begin to dis be distraught Oh, we'll still, we'll still declare God is faithful, yet we have a hard time understanding how God's displaying his faithfulness to us when times can seem so difficult and hard. And yet, listen to me, beloved, this is the point I really want to get to in this message. It doesn't matter, and I mentioned it a little bit last week, but it doesn't matter. God still remains faithful, and onto that we must grasp and hold and bind and anchor our soul that God is still faithful. Nothing, nothing sways his faithfulness. Not even when I'm distraught and troubled by the workings of God's providence. Remember Jacob, when they came back, Joseph said, go home, get my little brother, bring him back, Benjamin. And they said, we've got to take Benjamin. Otherwise, we can't release our brother. We can't get food. Jacob said, they took Joseph. Now you want Benjamin. Jacob cried, all these things are against me. All these things are against me. Those things weren't against Jacob. He didn't see the secret hand of God working behind the scenes, providentially fulfilling his perfect will. He gave Joseph a promise when he was a kid. You're going to sit on a throne and your brothers and fathers are going to bow. But he didn't tell him what it would take to get to the throne. He said, you'll get there, but the way you get there will be my device. David, you're going to sit on the throne, but you're going to have to learn a wilderness experience before you do. 
Joseph, you're going to have to learn to sit in a prison, in the darkness of prison, before you're exalted to the throne. You see, God's faithfulness never changed. It never changed. Even Joseph later on said, it wasn't you who sent me here. You think Joseph seen that in the prison? Joseph was like, hey, baker, <laughs> when you get up there, tell the king. I'm still down here. God says, you're not getting help from mankind. You're going to get out when I'm ready for you to, according to my will. Nothing changed God's faithfulness. Joseph just didn't understand how God would bring it about. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we have to hold on. We have to anchor ourselves in the faithfulness of God, even though everything around us seems to contradict that very truth. That's faith at its finest. Job experienced it for a short time. I looked to the right, to the left, front and backwards. I couldn't find God. I looked everywhere at the providence of God. I tried to figure out what God was doing. I couldn't find him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And then when he's finished with me, uh, I shall come forth as gold. For a moment, Job's seen it. The faithfulness of God. Elijah became so discouraged at his apparent lack of success in turning God's people back to God, he finds a juniper tree to sulk under and wishes to die. And the Lord comes up and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Here, eat, drink. Next day, here, eat, drink. That'll carry you. He goes to a mountaintop. You know the story. You got a thunder, lightning, fire. God's not in it. Still small voice. Then Elijah comes out in a still small voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, I'm the only one. God says, no, I, I, I've got thousands more, 5,000, 4,000 more prophets you don't know about. God is not influenced. Listen to me. He's not influenced and he's not inspired and he's not moved sometimes to satisfy our curiosity or our interest. He simply does it because he's God. And he says, I want you to believe in that. Well, I need something more than that. Hey, I know there was one time God answered Gideon's prayer about a fleece, but we can't always be throwing fleeces out. Lord, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, Lord, if the ground is dry, did it, God... God did that out of His mercy and grace, but God does not always allow us to throw fleeces out to prove the faithfulness of God. If you ask me, I think that was one of the weakest points in Gideon's life when he proved God's faithfulness. wasn't a strong point. It was weak faith. God's faithfulness never changes. The psalmist, again, and 77 says, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Say not within yourself that you've never had such thoughts. Say not that you've never been haunted by such questions. Not if you've tried to live for God and stay close to him. I guarantee you, you have. Because God is too great and he's too magnificent. And unknowing. And sometimes we're perplexed at what he's doing. And we're reminded that we're finite creatures and we have no idea. 
I seek not, dearly beloved, to condone or justify such thoughts. For surely to doubt or question God's faithfulness and divine purposes are very sinful of themselves. I seek not to condone or justify such thought, but it's a reality that we all must humbly confess. Yet few there be who would not humbly confess that the great mysteries, purposes, and divine designs of God have not often distraught, even greatly troubled them. Yet God remains faithful. Beloved, it is no easy matter to always discern God's divine purposes and plans. It's no easy matter. Because, let me remind you of what the prophet Isaiah said. God spoke to the prophet Isaiah and said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And dearly beloved, it's very common and not unusual for us finite creatures to be often perplexed at God's thoughts and ways. Yet his faithfulness never changes. We often, if ever, cannot see the outcome of our present situation or circumstance. We can't see beyond a minute from now. Right? And can quickly be overcome by our present trials and troubles. Our understanding and knowledge is tied to the present. What we see, what we feel, and what we touch. But not God. Yet here's the key. Yet faith, which is a gift of God given to unto us, we all know that, right? But faith, which is a gift of God given unto us, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Can you imagine God allowing our faith to only grow as we see things, as we, as we believe things we can see, touch, and taste? That's not faith. That's not faith, beloved. And we don't have the ability to exercise faith ourselves. We don't know how to do that. We don't know how faith grows. It's a gift of God. It's a divine gift of God. It's given by God. I don't know how to increase my faith. God does. But God increases it for things that's not seen and things that's hoped for. So in other words, God helps our faith to understand things that we finitely in our minds, cannot grasp. The psalmist said in Psalm 36, Thy judgments are a great deep. And how true that is. A great deep. And like I said, God does not always satisfy our curiosity. Or does He work in accordance to our own will or satisfaction? I I believe most of us have come to understand that. God just doesn't do that. People get that idea about that. Like I was talking earlier about the people praying about this individual and her health and everything else. People just believe that God can be swayed 
by their words. God can be swayed or moved to do something that is against his will or against himself. He can't. He won't. Then I hear, I hear people say, well, then why even pray? <laughs> because God has sovereignly ordained that his will be fulfilled through prayer. It's still according to God's will. It's never according to ours. Listen to me, beloved. It's not that God don't love us and doesn't care for us, but God knows what's best for us. We don't. So God says, no, I do everything in accordance to my will, what I want, and I'm not swayed by your desires or what you want because you don't know what's best for you. I do. You say, Lord, I, I don't know. This doesn't feel like it's best for me right now. It feels pretty difficult and hard. And God says, no, I, I know what's best for you. Can you imagine God trying to satisfy everybody's whim and be influenced by everybody's desires? Can you imagine what hectic that would be? The believer doesn't take satisfaction in God being influenced by his will or his needs or his desires. The believer takes satisfaction in God divinely ordaining everything for himself, from himself, to himself, which affects me. What do you think the thing is, if the Lord will? Oh, we have the petitions to ask God of anything. That's what the psalmist does in this psalm. That's really another part of this chapter, which is amazing, because it, it proves that we have the boldness, or we should have the boldness to approach the throne of grace. He pours his heart out before God. And, and that's what we're, in, we're called to do, pour our hearts out before God. It still doesn't change God's faithfulness. And even when I pour my heart out before God, it's not going to sway God to move one way or the other. He's going to do according to his will. Isn't that amazing? Man hates that. Man hates that. He goes, no, I want you to do what I want you to do. God said, I'm not going to do it. But Lord, if this happens, then I'm going to suffer. God says, yeah, and that's what I've ordained for you. I've ordained it for you. It's always best what God ordains, not what I want. So in the psalmist complaining, it makes no sense. I mean, it's amazing how he ends his complaint with, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. Why? Because he knew his complaints didn't do any good. We live in a generation of professing believers, and I, I say professing believers, who really truly believe that their actions and words can sway God to do things that they desire. God's not interested in doing what we desire, because what we desire is always sinful and wrong. The true believer rests in what God has ordained. Hast thou not seen how thy desires there have been met in what God ordaineth? God does not always satisfy our curiosity or work in accordance to our own will or satisfaction. We should take comfort in that if we know our own hearts. <laughs> I love how the brother always prays. He always prays that, and I, I admire that. Lord, let us not follow our own ways. Let us not. I love that. That's what a believer knows. A believer knows his own self. I don't want to do what I want to do. Lord, what I need to do is what you want me to do, and I want to just obey that. He will never satisfy our curiosity or work in accordance to our will or satisfaction, but always, but always to his perfect will and purpose. Always to his perfect will and purpose. And what is his perfect will and purpose? To glorify his name. Amen. 
And though all around my soul gives way, the hymn that's said, he then is all my hope and stay. You see, the believer finds perfect satisfaction in whatever God ordains. That's where God brings us to in our Christian life. That's the working of faith. God says you don't want to look at your present circumstances. Why do you think he says his faithfulness is established in the heavens, far above, the un- far above this changing and decaying world? It's up here. It's up here. It's in the heavens. Faithfulness sur- surrounds God. It's his power. The psalmist calls it strong. The psalmist's complaints and grievances didn't change God's unchanging faithfulness, nor did it move God to act contrary to himself. And I want you to understand that because that's really a deep saying, and it's really worth consideration. God will never act contrary to himself. What God has promised, God will fulfill. He's obligated himself to fulfill that. That's why if you really want to understand Psalm 89, go back and study again the covenant of grace. If you haven't even studied that, you need to go back because that's what it's talking about. It's talking about having faith having faith in God's faithfulness concerning the covenant of grace, that no matter what happens, God will always, always, always be faithful. You know that? You know how that's going to happen or how that's going to influence you and I when we face death, that God is faithful to his covenant of grace? You shall never perish but have everlasting life. You know what comfort that's going to bring you and I on our deathbeds when the death angel is so close and we can taste and smell him, his presence, when we can say God is faithful to his covenant with me in Christ. Because God's faithfulness cannot be influenced, changed, or deetered by any circumstances, things, or person. Nothing at all. And we need to grasp that this morning. Of all else, we need to grasp that. God's faithfulness cannot be swayed, influenced, motivated by any circumstances, situations, persons, things, men or angels. God does according to what he wants, according to his will. He will never act contrary to himself. He will always, always honor his word. He will always honor his promises. And in this 89th Psalm, the unchanging faithfulness of God is declared, like I said, in his covenant of grace. Nothing, listen to me, nothing shall change, alter, motivate, influence God in his covenant of grace towards his own. Once again, Psalm 89, let me read these verses to you. Follow me in Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. Verse 5. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. Verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Verse 24. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. Are you getting the point? Are you beginning to understand that God's faithfulness never changes, is never swayed, it's never influenced by circumstances, situations, 
when we pray, listen to me, listen to me just for a moment here. I really want you to grasp this. When we find ourselves in very difficult situations in life, when we pray with a desire, now listen to me because I want you to understand this. When we pray with our own desire to have it changed, whatever the motive might be, stop for a minute and question yourself whether this is what God is intending or is this what I want. Because we find greater confidence in simply saying, Lord, no matter what happens, thy will be done. The Lord was our example when he was in the garden. And he says, Lord, take this cup from me, yet not my will but thine. That was our example. So it's not wrong to pray, Lord, if it's your will to get me out of this, if it's your will to... But in the end, in the end, we need to come to this conclusion. Lord, no matter what happens, whatever you want, Lord, help me submit to that. Because that's where I'm going to find my greatest refuge and comfort and assurance is submitting myself to whatever God has ordained, be it good, bad, or evil. Job said it. Shall we not receive good and not evil from God? And the greatest comfort that you get out of Psalms 89, because it's called the covenant psalm, with God's faithfulness concerning His covenant to us. And let me end, and I know I mentioned quotes last week, but please let me give me the liberty this morning to indulge in this one from John Knox, which is well worth quoting. He said, and I quote, Do you think that God's goodness, mercy, and grace can be overcome by your iniquities? Will God, he said, who cannot undo his work of salvation, be a liar and lose his own glory because you are a sinner? End of quote. Never. Not even my sins, as a true believer, can deter the faithfulness of God. Not even my sins. Can you grasp that? Not even my sins. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this great thing in thy sight, that thou mightst be justified. Psalm 51, a penitent psalm. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Your faithfulness is established in heaven. Amen. <laughs> Beloved, let me close with this. Faith in God's unchanging faithfulness does not ignore the present troubles and trials. We don't ignore them. We're not oblivious to them. We don't stick our heads in the sand and pretend they're not there. Faith in God's unchanging faithfulness does not ignore the present troubles and trials, but uses them by God's grace to catapult our hearts and our minds above them and anchor our soul, like the psalmist says, in God's mercies and faithfulness, which is established in the heavens and round about God Himself. It lifts us above all these things and lets us see the faithfulness of God, which is established in the heavens and round about God. 
Oh, if we ever grasp the faithfulness of God, how it will change our lives, not just daily, but in times of hardships and trials and difficulties. God will never change his faithfulness. He will never act contrary to himself, ever. And everything he does, he doesn't do it because he's motivated, influenced, or swayed by circumstances, chances, situations, or even us. He does it out of his own free, perfect, sovereign will. He does it for himself, to himself, for his glory. When we grasp that, dearly beloved, you talk about an anchor and a refuge in the midst of our storms. Amen. God's faithfulness shall never fail. Never fail. If we remain unfaithful, isn't that what James says? Yet he remaineth faithful. He cannot deny his own. God cannot deny himself. And if he's promised you and I eternal life in Christ, if he's promised us to persevere to the end, if he promised us that we'll live in eternity with God, with Christ, nothing shall sway that. Nothing shall deter that. Nothing. Thank God for his unchanging faithfulness. Because it was dependent upon ours, we'd have failed a long time ago. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for great is thy faithfulness. Oh, Lord God, my Father, there is, there is no shadow, not a shadow, not even a shadow of turning with thee. As thou hast been, thou shalt forever be. Thank you, God, that in this unstable, ever-changing world, we as Christians can find solid ground and refuge in an unchanging God. Oh, dear God, all your attributes, like a rainbow, intertwine with each other. It's hard to tell the difference between them. They flow into each other like a rainbow. And Lord, all your attributes embrace also the faithfulness of God, your love, your mercy, your holiness. God, we thank you so much for who you are and that you never change. The psalmist says, I will, with my mouth, I will make known thy faithfulness unto all generations. It, it, Lord, it flows through every generation like a raging sea, a raging river, never changing, never being motivated or influenced by time, culture, or people. What a great God we have. May we find rest and refuge in this, we pray. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.